Well, once again, it's great to be on the Sabbath, to be here, to rest. I wanted to make a little comment. Terry said he was glad to see the cold weather come. <laughs> on the other hand, I know for myself, I'll have to start putting long handles on. It won't come off until about July next year. So. <laughs> so for some of you who like the cold weather, it it has a benefit, I think, too, I think, uh, all the pollen in the air, I won't have to be so down with uh, my nose looking like a, a strawberry because of the pollen in the air. So, you know, there's good good and bad points to it. One thing about it, I can always stay in and keep the wood-burning stove fired up. I think last year I was able to get to the house to about 95, had all the windows and doors open trying to cool it back down. <laughs> Anyway, we've had some a little bit difficult uh, wind the past couple of days. Uh, Daryl and I went up to move a trailer. It's going to take about 30 minutes to load it up and bring it back. and wound up being about three hours of extra work. And I'm glad we came back on Thursday and not Friday. I tried to go from Lana's house to my house and almost got blown away. So it's one one of those benefits of... Living in the desert, I guess. It was uh, it was 32 at my back door this morning, at least by my thermometer. So Daryl's might have been a little bit warmer. He's on the warm side of the of the road over here. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how things change so quickly? Just um, last week on Sunday, I called my oldest brother. Was able to talk to him and. Seemed like he was in great spirits and doing well. He had had an operation. Said he had a little bit of a blood clot in his heart, but he wasn't going to take any thinners. And he died Wednesday morning. So how fast things can change. And it was interesting. My younger sister called, and she really realized how fast things change. We haven't seen each other for years. And now she's realizing, waking up to the call, that life changes really, really fast. It just means that I can remember, it was just like yesterday, I went to the Feast of Tabernacles in 1964. Just just like yesterday. Fantastic time back then. Seems like yesterday that First time I heard Herbert Armstrong sitting out there in uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, White Sands Missile Range. It was in November, October. Maybe it was October. Maybe Maybe it was about 44 years ago I heard Mr. Armstrong for the first time. Well, 45 years ago in October of 62. Time really has flown, hasn't it? Where have I gone? Where have we gone from that time? Seems like yesterday I went to the Feast of Tabernacles in supposed to go to Pensacola. After the first year after Worldwide broke up, you know, we got to thinking, what's going to happen? Where am I going to go for the feast this year? Certainly can't go with Worldwide. I mean, those people are just flown off the coast. And so we were we're hooked up with somebody who's going to have a feast in Pensacola, but just before the feast came through, a hurricane came in. 
just that quick. Three feet of sand in the lobby of the hotel we are going to be in, so we had to go someplace else for the feast. And then I just thought, looking on this sermon, it was just like yesterday. We came here to Zion for the first time in the year 2000. I was excited. My wife was excited because, you know, it's a new group of people. Uh, we began to hear the minor prophets, and I said, we're going to have a tremendous feast. There ought to be at least 300 people there. We had around 65 people. <laughs> but it was still fantastic, let me tell you. It was one of, the, one of the feasts that you can really remember. I mean, there are feasts you remember, like I remember going to the Bahamas. Some of you say, hey, that was a great feast site, but it had its downfalls, too. I can remember the downfalls and very little of the upbringing. I can't remember a lot of the spiritual food. just can't remember it. I can remember the feast in Monterey. Um, I had a toothache. <laughs> I had to do a sermon, a couple of sermonettes, and I had a toothache the whole feast, and it was really downpulling on a feast. But then I remember the positive sides, going to Big Sandy. You know, those were so fantastic you know, because we were able to fellowship with everybody at the feast. And I think of this year, so many of us will be staying right here at the feast. And this is going to be fantastic to me. Be like the first year at the feast in Big Sandy. I'm planning the tent myself. But why do we go to the feast, brother? <laughs> why is it that we're even keeping the feast? Most of the world doesn't. And we're keeping the feast different from the majority of the people in the church today. But have we asked ourselves, why, why is it we're keeping the feast? As I go through this, and I thought of one thing. And I probably could end the sermon in about seven or eight words. That's it, because why are you keeping a feast? You can end it by saying, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. That's about all we have to really have to say, isn't it? Because that's what we're going to the feast for, isn't it? To worship the King, the Lord of hosts. I was telling Darrell, you know, last week he brought up the thing, but I'd already thought about this. Dr. Dorothy got up at the feast one year and said, sermon was, repent. And he went and sat down. Of course, the song leader, he, was, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> I thought about doing that, but Darrell brought it up last week, so I thought I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to Bill. But we come to the feast to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And is that the only reason you come to the feast? So let's take a look at some things. First, God commands you to come to the feast, doesn't He? It is a commandment. Leviticus chapter 23. We all need to go back as we come to the feast, and we'll probably go to Leviticus 23 again and again at the feast because... It tells us what we're to do. I know it's here. 
Leviticus 23. God spoke to Moses. So here God spoke directly to Moses. Remember Gordon's last sermon, he speaking out there, and he said, when God stood on that mountain, and he thundered the Ten Commandments, the people had enough of God, didn't they? They, they wanted God to speak to Moses and let Moses speak to them. So here God, speaking to Moses, said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So one of the things we have to really grasp in our life is these aren't just our feasts. These aren't something that we decide, well, it'd be good for a vacation or whatever. But God says these are His feasts, and He says to proclaim them, you know, broadcast it, tell everybody, these are my holy convocations. These are my times that He wants us to gather together to be a part of what He's doing. Verse 37, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made of fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and meat offering and a sacrifice and a drink offering and everything upon His day. So each day had something special and He expected the people to be there. In fact, He commanded you to be there. A holy convocation means a convoking, a reading, a calling together. That's what a holy convocation is. So he calls us together. He expects us to do these things. Exodus 23. Exodus 23. God sets the feast. He gave us the dates. And so we I spent the time in studying, and we kept the feast. I did for 44 years, I believe it is now. Going to be 44 years this year. And I keep it because God said to be there. But we've been able to spend the time studying God's Word to know that there are ways to determine which is the first month. The majority of the church doesn't understand that. Are we going to blame them for keeping the feast some other time? We better not. We better not judge somebody else and how they keep the feast or how they serve God. Because God calls each and every one of us and gives us the understanding. And someday, we'll all have that same understanding. We'll all have the same knowledge, especially when the whole earth begins to go around the sun at 360 degrees which gives us 360 days, and everybody has the same time, and we have a 30-day month, so we will know when the month begins and when the year begins. So here in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14, God says, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. Three times... God commands us to keep a feast, or three seasons. 
You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall not eat leavened bread seven days as I commanded you. And in the time appointed in the month. So he appointed the time of Abib. For in it you came out from Egypt and none shall appear before me empty. So he expects us to come to the feast to bring an offering. Not to come empty, but to bring an offering to him. And in the feast of harvest, the first fruits of the labor which you shall sow in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you shall gather in your labor out of your field. So he said, whenever the ends of the year, when you begin to gather in your your harvest. I can remember being a beekeeper. Every year there were times that I kept the feast before I brought in the labor of the end of the year. It was always after the feast before I could gather that fall harvest in. So sometimes I believe I was keeping it in the wrong time of the year because I didn't gather the stuff in. But I know this year, as I look back on it, if I was a beekeeper, we would have already harvested all the honey that we would have been able to do for the year. So it would have been falling at about the right time. Three times in a year, verse 17, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. So it's a command to the men, the males, to appear before their God three times in a year, and especially in the fall. So are we doing that command? I somebody come up and said, but what about the ladies that are baptized members? Well, they should be there too, because we're all going to be brides of Christ, so we'll all be the same. So we have a responsibility. God commands us to keep the feast. We can't decide for ourselves whether we're going to keep it or not keep it. We have to keep the feast. It is a commandment. Chapter 34, verse 22 of Exodus. Chapter 34, 22 of Exodus. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the feast of first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering in the end of the year. Again, God emphasizes it throughout the scriptures that we have to begin to keep the feast. We have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Deuteronomy 4, 2. It's a command to keep the feast. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So we cannot decide for ourselves as true Christians, as Terry was pointing out, you are a Christian, and this is what makes you a Christian. You can't decide what you're going to think is right or wrong. You can't decide for yourself that I'm going to drop this scripture or add this scripture or change. Of course, we know that Revelation tells us if you do that, if you change God's word anyway, that he will add to you the plagues. If you take away, he will take away your place out of the kingdom of God. 
So here he's telling us in chapter 4 that we can't add to the commandments. Again in chapter 12, verse 32 of Deuteronomy. Whatsoever things I command you, observe to do it. So if we're commanded to bring an offering, we better bring an offering. If we're commanded to be at the feast, we better be at the feast. We better honor God. We better do it His way. You shall not add thereto nor diminish from it. So whatever it is, God commands the keeping of His feast. We don't make that decision on our own. But God commands us to do those things. And we're commanded to be at the feast. Let's go to chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Deuteronomy 14, 22. You shall surely tithe all the increase of your seed that the field brings forth year by year. We're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles and the Holy Days of God. We're supposed to tithe. What tithe? We know one tithe, and we've gone through scriptures, we've gone through sermons that say the first tithe goes directly to God. But here he's talking about another tithe that we keep throughout the year. We're to keep it throughout the year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of the corn, of the wine, of the oil, and the firstlings of the herd and the flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. So he tells us that we're to tithe these things, and we know the first tithe goes to take care of God's work. But here's a tithe that he says we eat, that we enjoy. So it can't be, it has to be a separate tithe, doesn't it? And we're to enjoy this in a place which God chooses. And for that purpose of what? Like I said earlier, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. So we're there to learn to fear the Lord our God. So we're there with all that he gives us to enjoy those things. Verse 24. And if the way be too long for you, so that you are not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from you, which the Lord your God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall turn it into money. Bind the money in your uh, hands. You shall go to the place which the Lord your God shall choose, and you sh shall bestow it, uh, that money, for whatsoever your soul lusts after. Well, you know, you know, there are times of the years, and I can remember in my years of the feast, especially when you were running five and six and seven and eight children, that you don't have a lot of extras throughout the year. So it's not so much that you're lusting after it, but the things that you desire that you can't have normally. It's something that makes the whole feast something special for you. And so when you can do that, so you buy the things that will make it a time in which you can say, hey, it's helped me to learn to fear my God, to recognize He gives us everything, doesn't it? 
So, he says, you lust all things that you desire for what? Oxen? For sheep? For wine? For strong drink? Or for whatsoever your soul desires that you shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice you and your household. So he wants us to eat well at the feast. Because you know, the Feast of Tabernacles lets us look back at Israel coming out of Egypt and throughout that period of time they lived in temporary dwellings. But it's to look forward to the future of a time when there will be peace that we don't have now. There'll be a time when there won't be war. As Daryl brought out, there won't be a time where your crops are failing because of drought or too much water or too cold or too many hailstones or whatever. So here we're to learn to desire things that will that we can't normally obtain during the year, that we live well because we're looking at a time, the Feast of Tabernacles, we're looking at a time that's going to be fantastic. And so we're learning that, and we're learning to realize that this fear of our God, that is total deep respect for our God because this is what He's going to do. He wants us to be part of what He's doing. And he goes on, whatever your soul desires, that you shall eat there before the Lord, and you shall rejoice. So we not only eat, but we rejoice. We're happy, we're joyous, we're fantastic, because we're looking at a world that's not going to have all the pitfalls that we have today. We're going to look at a time when the one being who hates humanity is going to be locked up. A time when people won't have to worry about pornography, theft, killing, war, people bullying up themselves because they've got the wrong approach to life. We want to look at our brother or sister who you talk to one day and dead the next. Won't have that. We're going to have a time of peace. And so we're there to rejoice. And that's what we should be doing. We should be looking toward that, rejoicing that we're with our God. And the Levite, that's within your gates, you shall not forsake him, for he has no part in the inheritance with you. So here we're to rejoice and be willing to share what we have with other people. You know, it's a time when God expects us to do things His way. Is Christ different? Does He change? Can we say our, our God, well, uh, He expects that in the world tomorrow, but does He expect that today? He expected that of Israel. Does He expect that today? And yet we can read in Hebrews 13.8 that Christ doesn't change, does He? He's the same from the beginning to the end. He's saying yesterday, and what he did yesterday, what he did with Israel, and how he blessed them, how he blessed the church when he was on the earth, and he's going to bless the people in the world tomorrow, he blesses us today. He's saying, I don't change. I expect 
you to keep the feast. That's what he does. I expect you to eat well. I expect you to have plenty to eat. But then on the other hand, he doesn't expect us to eat too much, does he? He doesn't expect us to drink too much. I can remember many times at the Feast of Tabernacles in my time in the church where people would miss part of the feast, especially in the middle of the feast, for several reasons. One, they ate too much. You know, I, my wife and I have always took the approach, we eat certain categories throughout the year. And when we go to the feast, we don't go overboard and eat all the rich food that we don't normally eat because we tried it once or twice and we get sick. So when you go to the feast, if you don't go overboard and too many people eat too much, too late, too often, and so they wind up sick and they miss several of the important parts of the feast. Remember, the important part of the feast, the most important part of the feast is to worship the king. Well, how can you worship the king if you're laying home with a bellyache or a cold or if you drink too much and you can't see straight? I've seen people come to the feast wearing dark sunglasses. You say, take your glasses off. Well, I can't see too good. Well, they took their glasses off and they got bloodshot eyes because they drank too much and didn't get any sleep. Well, is that worshiping the king? If we go overboard, are we worshiping our our creator, our future husband? So God expects us to not to overdo things because he said that before. He did it in his day and time and expects that in the future. In Psalms 90 verse 2 tells us, before the mountains were formed, or even you have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight is but yesterday, and when it's past, as a watch in the night. So as I brought out at first, things change for you and for me, but how quick do they change for God? He's talking about a thousand years as a, as a watch in the night. And yet we have 70, maybe 80, some 90, and some not even that much. How quick things change. And God says for him, he doesn't change. But for us, we change. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Isaiah 41, verse 4. Who has wrought or done it, called the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. Indicating there was more than one God speaking here. So we know that this was the being that became Christ, who was with God, the Father, who didn't become a father until Christ came on the earth, and then he became the Father. And so he introduced us as, here it says, I am the first and with the last. So here we talked about two gods. When Christ came on the earth, he introduced us to the Father, didn't he? 
Up until that time, we knew of God who spoke to the Israelites, who spoke to the prophets, who spoke to all of us. But until that time, Christ came on the earth, we didn't know the Father. So Christ doesn't change. But we need to change at times, don't we? There are times that we really need to change. We heard, as we're going to hear in the future from Terry, talking about sin. And we've got to change those attitudes. It's interesting that we're told to keep the feast. We're told also where to keep the feast. Well, it says in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, and when to keep it. And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. So here Ezra telling that the people in the seventh month came to Jerusalem. In Nehemiah, we go there, chapter 7, Chapter 7, verse 73. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73. So the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers and some of the people had the Nithnims and all Israel dwelt in the cities. And when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. So he's talking about the seventh month. They were in the cities. And they had to come together. God tells us that we need to be together. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12 for right now. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We'll begin in verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 5. And unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto the habitation shall you seek, and hither shall you come, and hither shall you bring your burnt offerings. It's like I pointed out earlier. We have to come and bring an offering to God, and your sacrifices, and your tithes, and your heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your freewill offerings, and the fatlings of your herd and of your flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto, you and your household with, within the Lord your God has blessed you. So we have to rejoice before the God, and we take the things that God blessed us with to rejoice. He wants us, commands us to be there, and He wants us to rejoice in that process. He doesn't want us to go and not be able to rejoice. So he expects us to be at the feast and to rejoice. Now go to verse 11. Verse 11. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there, whether you shall bring all uh, that I command you 
your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings and of your hand and all the choice vows which you vowed unto the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your manservants and your maidservants and the Levite that's within your gates, for as much as he has no part or inheritance with you. So we're commanded to be together and to rejoice, not to be saddened, not to have a feast where, and I've had it been that way. Like I said, I've been down in, in the, the Bahamas, and there were reasons to not to, to rejoice there. I mean, I had teenagers down there. And let me tell you, if I had it to do again, I wouldn't take a teenager to the Bahamas. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with them. But what was the worst part about it was, I don't remember the sermons. I don't remember the right things about the feast there. And yet I remember in Big Sandy, I remember other places where there were fantastic things, and I remember those things. That time I talked about going to, supposed to go to Panama City, we wound up having to go to Orlando with another group. And I wasn't 100% with the group, but I wanted to be at the feast. I knew God commanded me to be at the feast. And I had one person come up to me and tell me, which is sad the way he brought it out, but he said, I've got a bone to pick with you. Well, I didn't know we'd been to eat, so I was being kind of smart alecky at the time. And I said, uh, I didn't know we had a, I didn't know we ate. How could we pick a bone? He said, no, you know what I mean. You come to my feast or our feast and have a different uh, viewpoint. Well, I hadn't said anything to anybody. And I said, well, you know, I thought this was God's feast. Because that's why I was here, because I thought it was God's feast. But so often we do that. We take the wrong approach. We say, you're coming to our feast. Well, I hope that we don't come to my feast here, or I don't come to your feast. If I come to your feast, I hope it's on some day during the week, any part of the year, and you invite me to your feast, and you put out a spread, and you have prime rib or sweet potatoes or steak or whatever it is. I mean, that's a feast, isn't it? That's your feast, and you can put it on but when we come to God's feast, we expect His food. That's how we can worship King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 17. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your corn or the wine and of the oil and first, uh, firstlings of your herd. So here, He gives us directions that we can't eat these things in our own personal gates. Um, flock and the vows and stuff, but you may eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God shall choose that you may, you and your sons and your daughters and your manservants, your whole family can rejoice. You can all rejoice. I mean, sometimes it's pretty hard to rejoice if you don't have anything to rejoice about, is it? But that's what God wants from us. So then, what should be the main focus of the feast? Have we ever given a lot of thought what is the main focus of the feast? Well, again, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, isn't it? That should be the main focus of the feast. 
Let's go over here to Second Timothy. I know it's maybe you're going to say it's stretching it a little bit. We're going to look at this in line with the feast. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy three to find the main focus of the Feast of Tabernacles. Chapter 3, verse 1. Know This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, what's out here today? Didn't we hear drought in one part of a state? Flood in another part? Wars? Rumors of wars? Threat of being killed? The threat of taking away their property, being put in jail because you love God. So we're living in perilous times, far more than a lot of people have ever done before. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Oh, what about it? Do we love our own self so much? Do we really love ourself more than our God? The focus should be that we love God more than our own self. That's what we should be saying. We're covetous. You know, we covet things. We've got to have this, that, and the other thing. We boast and we're proud. Proud that we're... And, you know, I know we don't say it, but don't we have a little bit of that in our own self? Thank God's told us about Passover and God's told us about this and we know about the calendar... Doesn't it bring a little bit of pride out of each one of us? I mean, you'll be honest. Do you have a, just a little bit maybe in the back of your mind? How, man, we are the special ones. But we're not. We've heard for years now that we maybe can be considered, if we live our life right, as a setup crew. Now, there's no pride in being a setup crew. I've been on the setup crew for the feast for years. Setup crew for a hall. You ask some of these people here that help set this up. Is there greatness in that? You know, sweeping the floor, mopping the floors? Maybe being at the Feast of Tabernacles and have to clean up because somebody ate too much or got sick and they put it on the ground and somebody's got to clean it up. Is that give you great night, hey, how good I am. I got to clean up that. <laughs> no. So we are proud. But think of it as a, in that area. Do we boast about the knowledge that we have that we know we're keeping the feast at the right time? We're better than anybody else. That's not the case. People keep the feast with what knowledge God gives to them. And if they keep it with the strength and the faith that God gives to them, and when the time's right, God will have us all in the same place. Let's, let's face it. We'll all be brought to the same point, or we won't be there. But it's at God's direction, at God's time. We're blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Think about that. How about it, young people? You know what the first commandment of promise is? Fifth commandment? First commandment with promise. Honor your father and your mother. That's the first commandment with promise. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives to you. Well, do you want long lands? A long, little long life? 
So are we disobedient to our parents? I remember you read in the scriptures, what did God do? He told Moses, if your children are disobedient, you take them out there and stone them. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't do that nowadays. There wouldn't be a lot of kids around, would there? Go into Walmart, go into any of the stores. I have grandkids that I just, I love them, but I don't like this disrespect. And then you hear it all the time. And here we live in, in a day and time, and you know it as well as I do, whether it be in the school systems, whether it be in the churches, in the communities, that children are disrespectful to their parents. They put their parents down. I was listening to a sermon this morning and said, hey, you get your kids up to 18, kick them out. Tell them there's the door. Go on, go out, wow, while you're, you know, you're 18, you know everything. Now's the time to go out and work. I mean, you know it all. And when you find that you don't know, come on back. <laughs> we'll take you back home again. But right now, you know more than anybody else. This is the time to get out there and, you know, maybe you can become a billionaire if that's what you're after. Unthankful. Israel was unthankful time and time again. The church has been unthankful. I have to say that Time and time again, I find myself unthankful for what God's given to me. How about you? Are you unthankful that God's given you the knowledge that you have? And unholy? What about our actions and our attitudes? Looking at the Feast of Tabernacles, are we unthankful for the opportunity that's given to us? Or are we going to be really thankful? Now, we're not going to be in Springdale, but we'll be here. And I think it's fantastic. I'm looking to a tremendous feast here. Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those things that are good. Too often people despise the good things of life. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. As I looked at that feast that I went to uh, Orlando, I saw the people love pleasure there more than they love being a God. Every year in St. Pete, it used to bother me tremendously that service would be over. While they're singing the last song, you'd see a mass exodus. Where are they going? Well, we're going to Disney World or, or going out skiing or going to go fishing or... And even in the middle of the feast, I saw in, in a time when there was five or 6,000 people there in St. Pete, in the middle of the feast, it might drop down a 1,000 people. Where are they? Is it not here God speaking to us that we become lovers of pleasure more than God? If you really love God, if you're there to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, that is the main focus. But too often, people go to the feast, and what are they looking for? If you're in Orlando or Branson, what's there? It, it was upsetting, because I was on ice cream, so I knew how many people were pretty much missing during the feast in St. Pete. When you're in charge of all the ice cream, or in charge of one section, and say you've got a thousand people in that section, 
in the middle of the feast, you got 500 or 700. You know, what's, what's the motivation? So we're lovers of pleasure. So we have to get the focus on the right area. For a sort, for this sort, are those which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts. And so there are times when people creep in. They look like us. They talk like us. But they don't live like us. So are they us? <laughs> That's what it gets down to. What is the main focus? Our focus. Your and my focus. What is the focus? In verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Is that part of the focus? To hear the Scriptures of God? Back in uh, Ezra, I think it's Ezra. I'll get to that a little later, I guess. I won't jump too far ahead here. But here the Scriptures are what we're here for. We're here to learn to fear the God of the universe. A God that created everything. Doesn't need anything. He has it all. It's all His. He goes on to say in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished unto good works. So, you can put down the main focus of the feast should be to hear the Scriptures and to become thoroughly finished unto good works. So, our, our focus has to be in the right area, doesn't it? We have to focus on those things that God wants. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Know this, for, uh, know this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is by any private interpretation. So we go to the feast, our focus should be on what's in this book. What God is teaching us. And when it says here, it's not of a private interpretation. Those that are teaching, whether it be sermons or sermonettes, it's not their private teaching. If we're reading from this book, it's God's Word. It's not a private interpretation. For the prophecies came not in old times by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I feel so many times I go to the feast, the sermons that we've been hearing lately are inspired by God through His power of His Spirit. So, is that the focus or pleasure? Is it the focus to be together and to learn God's way of life? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What is the focus of our life? Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah 8, verse 1. What's the focus? What's the main? 
focus, the purpose of coming to the feast? Is it for pleasure? For our own personal glory? To get drunk? To become a glutton? To have all the goody things of life? Chapter 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the streets that was before the water gate, and they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the books of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So here the people recognized, bring us the books of Moses. Well, we know that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the books of Moses. To bring them out. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So here, they brought this out on the Feast of Trumpets. And they read from the book of the law of God. And it doesn't just mean us old folks like me, but it means you young people too. If you can hear, it says, and understand, he's talking to you too. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning till midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attended unto the books of the law. And you keep on reading and you see that they read it even through the Feast of Tabernacles. And not only did they read this, but they made sense. They expounded on them, just like we have sermons today. You have sermons in this day and time, as we read from the works of the law, from the Bible, and expound on them. Same thing they did. Well, they, they did it for hours because they hadn't had the information. And God says, even those that could understand. So our main focus then should be to what? To hear God's Word. To learn to fear God. To learn to love our God, our Creator. So we have to have the right attitude too, don't we? I mean, you can have the wrong attitude. I'm going to be there. See, so I've got to be there. So I'm coming because God said to be there, and that's why I am there. Of course, I'm not going to hear anything, or maybe I will some, and maybe they'll say something, and and I won't like it. Maybe you're going to tell me I got to change. Maybe we're going to hear a sermon on sin, and hey, I don't want to be told I sin. I'm only told I'm doing something wrong. So I'm coming because I know I'm commanded to do it and I've got to be there. And so that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? The attitude should be, I want to know God's way of life. I want to be a part of what He's doing. In James 1 verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his life. So if we're, if we're double standard, I'm there because I have to. But I really want to be someplace else. So you've got a double standard there. and you, So you live one way while you're there at the feast where people see you, but 
they're not around, you know. Thing is, it's not what the minister sees, it's not what the brother and sister sees, it's what God sees. Isn't that the main focus? To honor our king? He sees everything. Remember, he tells us in the scriptures that whether you're out there in space someplace because you got on a rocket and got thrown away and nobody knows where you are, or you've gone up in the ocean, or you're in a cave someplace. God sees you. He knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're doing. So you can't have a standard of worshiping God when people look at you and you come to the feast and say you sit there and you take notes and then you throw them away because you live a different standard. You can't have a double mind. Because God says you're unstable in all your ways. And going back there, what it said in Timothy, that's when people creep in and lead away silly women. Who are the silly women? The church. Happened in the church. We all have been down that line. We saw that the silly women were led astray and the majority of the church fell apart. All the church fell apart, but most of them fell away. James 4, verse 8, where it tells us to draw close to God and He will draw close to you and cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So He said, get rid of a double mind. Have only a one-focused attention. Isaiah 66, 2 tells us who God looks to. To him is a... Let me go there because I might misquote that. Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. For all these things has my hand made. So God says, look at everything you see out there. The universe, everything out there, all the gold, all the silver, all the cattle, all that belongs to God. He created it all. And all things that have been, said the Lord, but to this man, woman, person, will I look, even to him that is poor and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. You go to the Feast of Tabernacles, do you tremble at what's read to us here? Oh, there's encouraging words. And yes, do we tremble at those encouraging words? God expects us to be humble and meek, to follow his directions. We need to ask ourselves. Here's a few questions I want to ask you. Ask yourself. When you come to the Feast of Tabernacles and you're there or you're going to the Feast of Tabernacles, first question is, is it pleasing to the Father? Whatever I do, wherever I act, however I perform, does it please the Father? That's important. Am I here to worship the King and please the King? First question you've got to ask yourself. No matter where you go, you have to ask yourself that. Second question, is it right to separate yourself? Well, we heard in the sermonette that God separates us from the world, doesn't He? But how about separating ourselves within ourselves here? I've been in the feast. A thousand people there. 
and you find that there's only this group of people stays with this group and this people stays with this group and this stays over here but there's no true fellowship. So we separate ourselves from, well, I don't get along with this person. I don't have the right, uh, we can't hardly talk. But think on this. What's going to happen in the world tomorrow? And say we're all wind up being part of the family of God. And I've got a person here I can't work with. I won't work with him. I won't talk to him. How do you expect to be in the kingdom of God? If you can't work with somebody, so God gives us his opportunity right now. Man, I have a hard time talking to this person. But I need to do it. I need to learn because how many millions of people are going to come along? We're going to have to, to guide them in the right direction. Can we do that? Can we, if we separate ourselves today from each other, you know, I don't like this person, so I won't eat with him. I don't like this person because I can't talk to them. They all do all the talking. I want to do some talking, but they won't let me do some talking. So we separate. We, 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 we categorize each other and say, and this happens, and no matter where you go to the feast, it happens this way. I've been around 44 years. I've seen it too many times. You want to, you want to be with the people you feel comfortable with instead of being like God. So ask yourself, am I going to separate myself from other people? Am I going to come to services and then split and do my thing? Or will I share my life with somebody else? If we do this, you have to ask yourself the question, if I'm one of these people that find it hard to get along with some people, how is this going to bring unity? If you don't know me, or you see I do something wrong, or you see Daryl does something wrong, or Gordon does something wrong, you know, I'm going to be with them people. So, does that bring unity, or do you go and talk with them? Do you spend time? Try to get to know them. Be willing to bend. Humble yourself and become meek. What we have to do. And just spending, the third question, our fourth question I had down here is how about spending time with just a small group? And it all fits together. Sometimes we just spend the time with just a small group, whatever it is, because we're comfortable with them. How does that please the Father? By isolating ourselves from other people, how can that please the Father? So then the true focus of the feast goes beyond that. It's to glorify God. So whatever we do, we have to ask ourselves, is this pleasing God? Am I glorifying God? Because I snub somebody? Because I have my own thoughts? Because I don't like somebody else? Does that really please God? And how is it worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts? Because you know Christ said, 
what you do to the least of these, my brethren. You do it to me. So if we mistreat somebody, if we snub somebody, if we walk away from somebody, we're doing that to Christ, that's what he's saying. And we're here to worship the king. We're here keeping his commandments because he tells us to be here. How we treat each other is how we treat Christ. And we need to learn to work with each other, don't we? And a lot of times at the Feast of Tabernacles, when you have, like, like in Big Sandy, with four, five, six thousand people all camped together, you have to learn to work with other people. And I think one of the benefits of this year's feast will be we'll get to work with each other. We'll get to learn to love each other. And we get gifts from God. God gives everything. Everything comes from the Father. All the good things come from the Father. Bad things come from you and me. And our attitudes, which are sometimes not right. So another point of the feast then would be for fellowship. In Philippians 2, verse 1-6 says, Philippians 2, 1-6, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, so he says, if there's any benefit from Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord in one mind. So we're at the feast. He's saying if there's going to be anything value, if we're going to glorify God and help bring honor and praise to God, we're going to have to work at being at one mind, aren't we? Having the same mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So you can't say, I get to do the cooking this year. And with that kind of approach, you're saying, I'm vain glory. Or I get to do all the cleaning up of the floors which not going to have. I looked at the list that was handed out and there's one category there of cleaning the bathrooms, you know, or taking out the garbage. Is that, that's a service. It's an opportunity. But it's no vanity in that, is there? Let nothing be done through strife because you're fighting to do it. If it's going to cause strife, avoid it. Go down and pray about it. Ask God for guidance and direction and forgiveness. And don't do it with strife. Don't go fighting over it. It's not worth it. Or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than himself. So we need to look at each other and really say, you're better than me. You esteem people higher than yourself. Look not every man on his own things, but... You know, you take it, I'm so great, so I'm looking at my things because I'm the guy that can do it. And I have a problem sometimes with that. A lot of times I don't hire people or have people help me with things because, you know, I can do it better than you can. <laughs> Isn't that kind of a, an attitude that, that it's easy to obtain? So you look on your things and how great they are for you, but let every man 
also on the things of others. So I have a good tent, or I have a good house, or I have a good camper, or I have more food. But remember, there are other people out there. At the feast, we want to fellowship and share what we have. And let this mind be in you, which was in Christ the Emmanuel, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. But he was God. He was man. And he didn't think it was robbery to be to equal with God. And so he gave up a lot. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things are gained to me, these I count for loss for Christ. Do we look at our own things and do we count those things that we've gained as loss for Christ that we're able to give to other people? and share what we have. Yes, doubtly, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ the Emmanuel, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. We must take that approach, be willing to give up everything for Christ. We give up everything for each other to make somebody else's feast fantastic. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's what we got to have, that faith. With true faith and love, you don't have any fear. God's our keeper, our trust, our helper. So one of the key factors at the feast then should be to fellowship, isn't it? To have the right type of fellowship. And God goes on to say another factor is that God will direct the services. He directs those that does the teaching. In Nahum 1, verse 15, Nahum 1, verse 15, God selects who does the teaching. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace. O Judah, keep your solemn feast, perform your vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So God's saying the ones that's preaching, the ones that he selects to put out there to teach, that these are ones he calls, and their feet are beautiful. Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him that brings good tidings. Those that God sends to bring good tidings. He's saying he... How beautiful are their feet. The good tidings that publishes salvation and that says to Zion, to the church, your God reigns. 
So God says he puts people out there in charge in Acts 10.36. Acts 10.36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Christ, he is Lord of all. So God sent preachers. Again in Romans 10 verse 15. I'm not giving you much time to look them up, but you can write it down. Romans 10.15 And how shall we preach except He be sent? Isn't it understanding that? Can't we grasp that? God says, how can we preach except we be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God sends those people to do that. So it is the true servants of God that claim that don't claim the knowledge on their own. A true servant is not going to sit up there and say, I got it. It's my own. I've done this studying. Notice John verse 19. The book of John verse 19. A true servant is not going to boast how good he is. A true servant is not going to say, because I have this ability. It's not that way. Christ Himself speaking here in John 5, verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do, for what things soever He does, these also does the Son likewise. Christ, God in the flesh with us, specifically said, I don't do these on my own. I do what the Father tells me. In verse 30, the same chapter, John 5, verse 30, again, Christ speaking says, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. A true servant of God is not going to claim that he's great and better than anybody else if we follow the pattern that Christ set for us. One more scripture. John chapter 6, verse 38. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. We're here. We're called, we're given an opportunity to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. Not for our own will, but we're called because it's the will of God. We teach because it's the will of God. We fellowship because that's the will of God. So why are you going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Ask yourself. It's an important time. Is it your will? The will of the Father's. Are you going to keep the feast as God directs it? What is your focus? What will be the main focus at the feast this year for you? To do God's will or your will? Your pleasure or God's pleasure? And are you going to fellowship? 
That's the focus. Has to be on what? To worship the King, the Lord of hosts.